0: All right. Welcome, welcome. This is episode number 95 of the Bearded Marketers podcast, the only internet marketing podcast that matters. I'm Rob. And I'm Corey. You can catch new episodes every week at thebeardedmarketers.com slash podcast, iTunes, Stitcher, and anywhere else you can find good podcasts. Take a second to leave us a review, rating, share it, tweet us, follow us, like us, whatever else you can do via social media. I'm pretty sure we're probably on it. All right. to get into the mood every week to bring you the latest we to get a couple drinks into us mm-hmm. so we get real real, get a little rowdy. So this week, man, I've been sticking to boring, boring Moscow mules mm-hmm. for like weeks in a row. That's what I'm doing again.
1: <laughs> I thought that was like a no, LAU
0: for a I changed and watch this. Nope, nope, nope. <laughs> All right, what are you doing?
1: I am actually switching up a bit. Going back to Sidecar. Had one the other night. I was like, these are pretty tasty. I think I'm going to return to some of my roots. So enough on that. Let's go ahead and get cracking. Man, 95. We're getting close to 100 just can't believe that. It feels like yesterday we were just kicking this off, not knowing what we're doing. Maybe we still don't know what we're doing. (laughs) At least we're making some progress here. Coming up on 100. Can't believe it. Anyways, let's jump into the topics. So to kick things off, we're going to explore some data on... One of the most shared sites, I guess I would say, online. Good for some laughs with people that aren't on Reddit and get that two days later. BuzzFeed, what are some of their most shared and liked headline formats and what can we learn about that? So again, this is not an article from BuzzFeed, but it's about BuzzFeed results. Moving into some data. One of the things that we struggle with here and talking with clients out there are some of these old principles that seem to stick around, even though you throw a ton of data at it. Sometimes you just can't erase it from people's mind. But one of the things that falls in that category is this concept of the fold. So we're going to explore some data on what are the new trends around that and how we're going to hopefully tear that down and move on with our lives into 2015. Moving right along, we're going to talk about the explosion of marketing tech companies. Over 2,000 out there. What do we need to know and how is that going to maybe influence our competitive landscape? We've got to stay ahead in this oh so competitive world. And it would not be an episode if we didn't check in with our favorite search engine in Google, what's happening with them or around them. Let's kick it off with some BuzzFeed. What are some of the headlines that we need to steal, Rob, to get people to click on our stuff and share it and become socially popular?
0: So I got this article off a pretty cool little blog. It's called minimaxir.com, M-I-N-I-M-A-X-I-R.com. Spells a little weird, so I I wanted to spell that out for you guys. The article is titled Quantifying the Clickbait and Linkbait in BuzzFeed Articles. And this guy basically does this really in-depth look at all of the different articles on BuzzFeed and which ones are getting more shares across the different social networks, looking at them from all different ways. What types of articles are they? Are mm-hmm. these these sort of list slash article type things? If they are, how many typical items are in the list? Which types of three word phrases tend to show up more often in the most shared articles? Which types of lists are popular? Is it pictures? Is it words? Is it books? What is it? So this is a really huge in-depth thing. And I think that this can help internet marketers, obviously, for multiple reasons. If you're doing content marketing out there, which pretty much everybody is, I mean, that's mm-hmm. the latest buzz thing going on right now. Nope pun intended you know obviously the goal there is usually links slash let's get people interested in reading our stuff and sharing Mm -hmm. it especially i think
1: last time we covered google has announced that they're going to start integrating more heavily social cues back into the algorithm google plus hasn't taken off as much as they want so having this evergreen content one that people share and talk about could really boost the traffic to
0: your sites is becoming even more important can use all of that in your content marketing, but also, I mean, just in all of your copywriting, your emails you send out, your ads mm-hmm. you write, whatever it is, a lot of this information can really help you because BuzzFeed is such a massive site. So I wanted to run through a few of these. There's a ton on here. I highly recommend looking the article up. Maybe we'll tweet it out so you can find it more easily. But one of the ones I wanted to talk about was let's talk about these list articles. Okay. What are the most common? types of list articles that get the most shares so how can we potentially copy some of this strategy here so number one Pretty much far and away is the picture type list articles. I think that that would probably be the most obvious thing for most people. Uh, listing out an X number of pictures. Some other ones I wanted to mention, books. It was actually pretty high on the list. Who the hell reads books much anymore? Especially on a site like BuzzFeed. It seems like it would cater to the younger <laughs> crowd. I don't think they know how to read. But book lists were pretty important. Also, list articles phrased like this. The X most important thing. X reasons you should. Those are all hugely popular. X most important. X things you probably should. So a lot of those things we've seen and heard, this is sort of quantified. Now we sure. know, okay, these things obviously definitely are. Some of the bottom of the list, X things you didn't, X things you didn't know. Those negatives actually don't work out that well. Mm. And some of the shorter ones like X reasons, X things you, X awesome, X signs you So definitely take a look at this. It looks like the results are definitely pretty significant. There are some massive differences between some of these. And he talks about the confidence intervals he uses too in his analysis. I also want to look at some of the key keywords. That's Mm -hmm. right. That's used twice. And this is basically one of those big bubble word bubble things. New, right in the center. That's the hot one. Always use new in your link bank articles. (laughs) Things, also hot. People, video, reasons, make, best, first these are all these words you need to be using in your list articles some of the other ones obama romney obviously those are pretty limited though because sure so I want to talk about those I want to end on three word phrases but did you have anything to add on some of those things I know we're not really the sort of target demo on some of these things
1: yeah I mean but I'm I think not that's reading Buzzfeed. sometimes that's the case for a lot of the people that we're talking to in this podcast so you know we're in the day to day and so some of these articles or tactics don't necessarily work on us that's sometimes the thing you have to take into account when you're developing these strategies is sometimes we create optimization or marketing strategies that would appeal to us, but that's not necessarily who you are selling to. So I think articles like this are good to snap us back to reality and look at what are some of the tactics that are actually working out there? Because you got to keep in mind, BuzzFeed is a massive site. They have mm-hmm. a, a ton of bodies that they're throwing out this ton of research into what is actually happening. And so as much as we might think their site is full of garbage or just reading posts or whatever. They have a ton of information and are assuming doing their due diligence and understanding what's working well out there. So they provide a good source material for us as we're generating content out there. Some of these you need to look at with a filter and understand what BuzzFeed does as a site Mm -hmm. and how their content is crafted and how applicable some of these things might be. But I do think you brought up a good point. The quantifying can be very beneficial. I mean, if you look at this breakdown of keyword phrases and things like that the quantifiable ones do stack up high but you have to be careful in how you use that because they also are pretty prevalent at the bottom as well as you mentioned some of the connotations that you use in your word structure so all that to say definitely check out the article look at it through a filter what does buzzfeed do but understand this is a ton of data that can point you into some right directions you know sometimes we struggle with what do we do for headlines and how do we generate our content this might give you some good test ideas that you can
0: execute in this new year the other thing i wanted to mention before moving on to the three word phrase thing, which I think is really interesting, is the number of entries in these what he's calling listicles that BuzzFeed uses and which ones are more popular. So I think when most people think of these types of things, they think what, like three, five, ten, something like that. Not usually going much higher than that. But if you look at this data, it looks to be like the sweet spot is closer to 30, From 20 to 30, even 35 different items in your listicle seems to be the sweet spot for some of these number of Facebook shares. So keep that in mind. Again, you know, a lot of this stuff, it's hard to do depending on the type of content you're doing. But it seems like those larger lists, which people may not even be reading the whole damn thing, which I think we've talked about content length. Just because there's a lot of things on it makes me think that it's a better list, so I'm more likely to share. I'm sure there's some psychology there.
1: Probably I'll find something that I can relate to. Yeah.
0: So I'm going to finish this out with three word phrases with the most Facebook shares and BuzzFeed article titles. Number one, character, are you? So this would okay. usually take the what type of character are you from X movie or X book or whatever the hell. Mm-hmm. Number two, and this is about half the number of shares as number one before you die. So this would usually take the form of before you die, do this or before you die, see this or watch this or whatever. And those two are far and away the largest. So for example, character, are you average number of Facebook shares a 101,000 before you die? 53,000. Then, number three is you probably didn't and that's it about 29,000 and then from there they're all roughly the same other ones with brief mentions i'll do here in your life reasons you should probably didn't know things you probably didn't know about those were all different phrases but it seemed like the same sentence (laughs) me repeating it over and over again but the most popular ones are character are you and before you die keep that in mind when you're doing your articles your link baits. Your yeah, as ads. you
1: mentioned, definitely give the article a once over. There's a lot of information there and this is compiled with a lot of care. Talks about the significance of the data things like that. Again, look at it through a filter how you can apply it, but it does provide us some great ideas going into 2015 to curate our content, maybe get some more eyes on it. So moving right along, I wanted to cover some research that was put out by Content Square. And what they do is really user-based experience testing to increase conversion rate. They got a lot of large clients out there and they generate quite a bit of data in the space. But what they've been concentrating over the last year is understanding the concept of scroll. There is this pervasive belief in the design world that you need to cram as much stuff as you can as possible above the fold, because if you don't, well, your content essentially is never going to get anybody's eyes. And that's been something that has stuck around even as the ecosystems have changed, users have changed, devices device has changed. Now, certainly, first impressions do make a big difference and something to be weighed in a site. Uh, but this concept of scroll is quite a bit dated. And what I like about this research is it really quantifies how that is, and really the differences in users as they interact with different devices. So all their data is based on the year 2013 to 14 and what they're seeing, the line of pixels that people are moving down on their site. So on desktops, they've seen a 5 to 10% increase in how far people are making it down on the site just in one year. On mobile devices, they're seeing an 18% increase, so from 1,700 pixels to 2,000. And then moving on to tablets, and this is significant, they're seeing a 42% increase in the average last line of pixel that people are reaching on a website versus just last year. And they do an interesting write-up on the reasoning behind some of this data, but really what I wanted to talk about in the episode today is just challenging your concept of the fold and... One of the big issues that I take with it is I believe it really forces poor design. And I don't know if you've run into this, but I certainly have, where there is this almost legendary status of this fold that spreads throughout a company. And so what ends up happening is for whatever page we're looking at, everyone is clamoring to get above this mythical fold. And what ends up happening is it just becomes overwhelming. Everyone is fighting over such small real estate that everyone ends up suffering in the end. And what you typically find is a lot of political battles going on to fight for space. But then you get content competing with itself you know, so we have this limited viewport in the fold and so to you got your little piece of real estate now to outdo everyone well let's add like motion in mine or let's make it like a red banner so everyone sees it and over time it just devolves into this page where everything is really shouting for attention and as an end user you don't know really where to start and digest it so this is just a cautionary tale the concept of the fold is really dated now again i do want to stress first impressions are important and that top content can serve a purpose. But users are getting smarter than just the fold. And I think a lot of that has to do with we're doing websites better. They're more engaging uh, and we have some content out there. But keep in mind as well, depending on their device, there is also the perseverance in the user to actually digest more content. So really fight the good fight and don't overwhelm people with trying to cram so much stuff into these small little real estate areas in the effort to just get it above the fold because there's quite a bit of data out there. To depending on your device, that that might not be necessary. And that also might be costing you a lot of conversion rate because, again, it's just an overwhelming experience.
0: Yeah, I, I want to, I think, emphasize that first impressions matter type. And I don't think it's necessary to get everything above your fold depending on the device, which you know obviously becomes difficult because there's so many different devices. But sure. I think it's important still to have your main headline slash whatever call to action. So people immediately grasp what mm-hmm. it is I'm expected to do or what this is, and then I can scroll for additional information. You don't need everything above the fold, but you do need some of that basic important information. But there's a couple things that I, I think sort of concerned me, and they hinted at it in the article a bit, that phone screens are getting larger. Sure. There was another thing that I, th- I don't see them talk about in here too, but what about the difference between different high-resolution devices? Mm -hmm. and how does that play into this? But I think the huge increase in what we're seeing on smartphones and tablets is simply because, and why they get so much farther down the page Mm -hmm. is simply because it's so easy to just flick that screen and you end up all the way down, bouncing on the bottom of the page, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas most people don't have the scroll wheel mouse that, you know, easily lets them just scroll the bottom. Watching most people use the internet is painful. They go to the (laughs) scroll bar and click down and click down. So So I think that's a huge thing on phones and tablets is that because it's so easy to just that flick continues scrolling for you, it's easy to get an overall glance of the page. A little yeah. bit easier than it is for most normal users on, say, for example, a desktop. So Well, and
1: I think, too, that they're more accustomed to navigating that way. Mm-hmm. As most websites like collapse down, they're accustomed to having to do a little bit more work to digest the page. But I think your point is well taken on that first impression. I think, and I believe that that's the case because users have become smarter. And if you're not greeting them with the relevant information that they expect, Users are savvy enough now to go look for alternatives. So if your initial entry doesn't meet their expectations, most common visitors now understand how to use search engines. They know how to go look for competitors or look for alternatives out there. And so if you're not meeting those expectations, at least what I've seen, is that toleration of persevering throughout the visit has gone down in the users. We expect immediacy and relevance, and if you're not providing that, at least initially, they can really lose out. And on that, sometimes your relevance can be lost by being overwhelmed by everything else. So it's this compounding effect sometimes can work against you in that department as well, is you might have elements that are very relevant. Maybe it's a dynamic headline or great copy or whatever. Well, if you have all these other aspects clamoring for their attention, sometimes they'll just miss that completely and then bounce out the site. So take that into account, really evaluate what your design policies are, and see maybe research like this can help you fight those political battles to ultimately end up at a better website. Moving right along, marketing is now tech. What is up with all these new MarTech companies? Why do we need to care? How is this changing the industry? Enlighten us,
0: Rob Sardamis. Yes, I will. Uh, I can't take all the credit, though. This is a blog post from chiefmartech.com. Basically, it looks like this guy does a rundown every year of all the, not all, but the major marketing technology companies out there. So marketing tech, backing up, I guess, a step or two here. Marketing tech, short version is Martech. Basically, these are platforms, pieces of software, whatever it is, that help enable marketing, maybe make it easier, maybe help inform it, analytics platforms, data management, whatever it is. There's a ton of different categories. Let me actually run down a few more of these to help clarify the picture here. So things like web and mobile analytics, social media marketing platforms, not things like Twitter itself. But the analytics platforms that plug into those things, email marketing platforms, SEO reporting platforms, content management, tag management, CRMs, e-commerce, web development, marketing environment. I mean, there's a ton of different categories. And he released this infographic. You can look at it and it's mind numbing. But the takeaway basically is that in January in 2014, when he originally did this, there were 947 companies that he listed. In January 2015, there were 1,876 companies. So just shy of 2000. So an explosion there, of, obviously this isn't going to represent exactly every single marketing tech company out there, but these are the ones that people are aware of. There's an Mm -hmm. explosion of well-marketed marketing tech companies out there that can help enable things. And obviously there's a ton of overlap, but I think this points to the larger issue, which is that twofold. One is, you can't afford to not be listening to things like the Bearded Marketers, shout out, (laughs) because this internet marketing world is changing so drastically. Even real world marketing is changing all the time. Mm -hmm. We have so many different tools, platforms, pieces of software out there that give us so much more insight, make our jobs easier slash more complicated. And you can't afford to be missing out on these things, you have to be out there actively looking for these new categories that pop up overnight, these new companies that pop up and have new features that you've always wanted and didn't know were available. I think the other thing though too, is that this points to, and uh, I've been saying this for a long time, marketers, you cannot afford to not be tech savvy anymore. Nope. You have to be aware of the basics of how tracking is done. Online, You have to be aware of what's possible out there. You have to know what the hell an API is. (laughs) You have to know some of these basic things so that you can know if these tools are possible, if these stats that you want are able to be gotten, Mm -hmm. if it's possible to keep track of people who open emails and then come to our website. What is possible you need to know about tech to know about those things and to sort of vet what these B2B software platform guys are trying to sell you. When they tell you a feature that you know is probably not possible, it doesn't work the way they're claiming it's going to work. Can save a bunch of money with that stuff because some of these platforms are incredibly expensive. So I just wanted to talk about this explosion here, the need to stay on top of the game. It's now more important than ever to do things like listen to this podcast, sit on webinars, go to these conferences. You have to know what's going on in this in this world, or you get passed by.
1: I think that's the important part is understanding that the explosion of this technology has made many aspects smart marketing easier or just more visibility into what you can do. And that goes the same with your competitors. I think a lot of companies out there sometimes enter the market, they dominate it, they found their niche. But understand that with the explosion of these tools, it's very easy for companies to spring up overnight and have a real bleeding edge on how their operations work. You know, Maybe they don't necessarily have the same level of products as you do, but if they can better execute the marketing, retain the visitors on their site, follow up with potential leads uh, then it's very easy for them to sometimes dominate you with a subpar product uh, just because they can get out to market more effectively but also more smartly so keep that in mind you got to stay up on it i will say though emphasizing what rob said get some technical knowledge of yourself or a trusted advisor on how these things work vetting out options but also to help diagnose when issues arrive and understanding what might be causing this has sometimes helped me save a lot of time myself when Things start to raise an eyebrow. I know somewhat of what it could be and help troubleshoot there. But I also say be careful in the rush to always be trying the new thing. Understand that a lot of these new technologies, as nice as they are, do require some of your time and effort. And the time that you're going to expend sometimes onboarding and implementing these processes needs to be weighed about your priorities as a business. It's very easy to get caught up with the latest and greatest, but sometimes that time could be better spent. How are you actually structuring your company internally? Are you really optimized and ready for a product like that? Or do you need to invest some time to help you get to that point where you're able to take advantage of some of these technologies? So evaluate, just don't get caught up in the feature war between some of these products just because someone releases something new understand this is going to take some time take some it effort potentially and how that might look against my roadmap but it's crazy time in our industry it's exciting just what will come out next week it's sometimes just a day-to-day thing and how many cool things are coming to market so Let's wrap up this episode with checking in on our favorite search engine, Google. What's happening there? First and foremost, if you've been checking your Google Webmaster tools like Rob told you to, you might have noticed some warnings about the mobile accessibility of your site. That's right. Google is sending out explicit messages saying, get your mobile shit in line. It's looking whack. The reason why that's important, we've talked about it actually here on the podcast for quite a while, Google is getting much more explicit about warning visitors when they come onto your site potentially from the search engine results that this website is potentially not friendly to their device. That can be a big deterrent for your SEO traffic and depending on your site, that might be a wide swath of visitors. So make sure you're up to Google's standards. They have great tools within Webmaster Tools, but also their page speed insights as well to help you get in line with what they feel like is mobile optimized within their design standards and speed can really help save you, but also give you a competitive edge. Maybe you're gonna be first to market where all your other competitors are struggling, but mobile is becoming very important and you need to be paying attention to it. I did want to cover this because it is related to Google, but it's actually on the Yahoo side of things. There's been reported multiple sightings of Yahoo. You know, there's been in the past where Bing and Yahoo have played around with their search engine results pages, which, you know, start to border on much more Google esque. And Bing has slowly moved over to that, I would say, presentation over the last couple of years. Yahoo is testing. I swear to God, the same exact page on Google, uh, basically with just their logo. And I mean, there's some slight tweaks there, but it is very much similar to a Google results page. We're going to tweet out a link so you can check it out yourself. But (laughs) I mean, it is pretty much
0: the same page. Yeah, that's a rip off.
1: It's obvious that Yahoo is floundering and trying to find what their identity is going to look like. They are playing around with what their search results look like. But definitely take a look for it yourself. As you heard Rob live, it is pretty shocking how close it is. Interesting to see what Yahoo is doing in this space. Speaking of Yahoo and Bing, what has been interesting is multiple agencies that handle large accounts have reported for the last couple of quarters that Yahoo and Bing are gaining market share on Google. Now, they're not necessarily dethroning the giant, and a lot of that is going to be attributed to Firefox's decision to pick Yahoo as their default search. But there has been some data indications that Yahoo is and Bing are clawing back some of the market share, which honestly, as much as I love Google, I do welcome the competition. As a marketer, it is a bit scary to have so much power in one person's hand. So as much as I think that Yahoo and Bing can sometimes be embarrassing, I am glad to see that there are some competitive options out there that are starting to arise and just how that might pressure Google to become even better as well. Lastly, this is something that we get asked quite a bit as consultants. And I think that a lot of people don't even know that they can do this, but you can track email opens. That's right. Not just click throughs, but opens within Google Analytics. Companies that we work with sometimes struggle with. I have these email marketing platforms and they report opens but sometimes when I look at that and my Google Analytics data, way out of whack, reporting completely different things. Well, there is some documentation on how you can implement that open tracking directly within Google Analytics. We're going to tweet out a link, very easy to implement, even if you're not technically savvy, but it will help bring some data into your Google Analytics suite if you use them to be able to look at what is the email picture. It's well documented that email is some of the best return on investment channel. So it makes sense that we take the time, make sure that we're tracking that correctly and just get a grasp on what are these crazy people doing with our emails that's going to do it for us on this episode Whew, covered a lot thank you so much for your time if you enjoyed the episode we ask a couple things one that you'd share with a friend a colleague or as rob would like to say A lover, perhaps. Also, if you found it valuable, leave us a review on whatever channel you found us on. Not only does it help us grow the show, but let us know where we need to potentially tweak things to make it more better for you and relevant. If you have an idea for the show, maybe you sit there and listen every week and go, hmm, those beer guys are pretty smart. What do they think about this? Or you're potentially struggling with something, the boss is yelling at you, you don't know where to turn. Give us a call at 904-270-9603, or you can text us. Rob waits by the phone day and night at our crises hotline you can leave us a line at thebeardmarketers.com contact or you can reach us on twitter which will tweet out all the links from the show that we talked about today but thank you again so much for your time hope you're having a great 2015 so far and we'll see you next week geo